It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. Coming up on this week's show, we rank which broadcasters are most likely to acquire the next round of rights to the Champions League. We share the inside scoop of what UEFA is saying about Turner Sports, according to sources. We take a look at the MLS viewing numbers from the playoffs, and we look ahead to a potential new TV deal for NWSL. Plus, of course, letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I am joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, let's start off uh, with the Major League Soccer playoffs. It's the time of the season. I mean, all, all these clubs have been trying to fight away all season long to get into the playoffs, and, and here we are. Um, from this past weekend, what's your take on whether the um, playoff structure as it is, because it has changed quite a bit, uh, whether it's working with these uh, one-off games or not? So I thought it was working after the weekend because what you saw were basically higher seeds advance. You saw some really entertaining end-to-end action. I, I, I should admit that due to my own job and work constraints, I haven't watched a match since the Philly-New York game uh, on um, on uh, on Sunday night. But um, I watched. I had watched everything to that point. So. I, I saw enough of, of, of the playoffs. Uh, no, sorry. I watched the Minnesota LA Galaxy game. That was that night also. But I've, I watched everything on Saturday and Sunday. And I thought, uh, obviously, with the exception of that Minnesota game, that the higher seeds generally were able to take advantage of their opportunities. You had some really entertaining close matches. The DC-Toronto game was entertaining. The Philly... Um, New York game was entertaining. Was really happy to see Fafa Picalt, who I know personally, who I've worked with with, with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, get get a goal, a critical goal in that match. And Ali Bedoya, who's also here from South Florida, uh, uh, advance. So that was um, that. Th- those were entertaining matches. I won't say it was the best football. I think that there were a lot of defensive errors. There were a lot of goalkeeping errors. Also, that was kind of significant uh, over the weekend, but. To me, it was great that you saw uh, teams rewarded for for having better regular seasons instead of kind of the crapshoots we used to see. Although, the truth be told, the first round, the higher seed was always one leg and the higher seed uh, got the home match. Now, what's happened the last few nights, and we're recording this on Thursday, uh, for those of you who might be listening later, has um, cast some – has been – 
a, a little bit of a, a, a disturbing trend for me. Not not to take away uh, from Seattle's performance against Salt Lake. And again, I didn't see that match. I've just seen highlights. And same thing for uh, uh, New York's loss, New York mm-hmm. City FC's loss at Yankee Stadium. But uh, now we're again seeing the lower seeds that have a match to play in, <laughs> right? right? Advancing, which is something we saw in... Um, the previous format. Now, what would happen in the previous format is that the first leg would be hosted by the team with the lower seed. They would uh, they would ultimately win the match 2-0 or whatever, and then the higher seed in the second leg would be chasing the, the, the tie with the uh, lower seed sitting with uh, eight or nine men behind the ball playing in a low block and ultimately getting through uh, two legs. Jesse Marsh, who I think everybody now is finally recognizing is probably the best best American coach other than maybe his mentor, Bob Bradley, uh, joked because the Red Bulls had been the number one seed repeatedly in the East and would end up getting knocked out in this format. Maybe we should just finish sixth every year and then we would have a better <laughs> shot at getting to MLS Cup. So um, I was positive about it. I was I even tweeted uh, after Sunday, boy, I was right about this format being better and making uh, things more competitive, more entertaining in the playoffs. Yes, I uh, once again admit I have not watched the midweek matches because I've had um, professional obligations that have prevented me from doing so. However, the results concern me, and maybe this format, we have to see how this thing plays out um, to, to, to the MLS Cup, but maybe this format isn't that much different, and it's a crapshoot, the playoffs, and there's really no um, emphasis or no value on winning uh, more points in the regular season. And that's the thing that so far is that uh, it's been pretty predictable in terms of the teams advancing. So there's been a lot of talk over social media, especially from this past weekend, about how exciting the MLS playoffs were. I didn't catch uh, a lot of it. I, I did um, actually think Saturday and Sunday my, my daughter had uh, travel soccer games. So I was driving around Florida, taking it to those. So I watched the highlights of the MLS games and um, – you mean they didn't? I mean, there was a lot of goalkeeping errors, yes, that you mentioned, but uh, everything went according to plan. I mean, beforehand, if you said, okay, which teams are going to advance to the next stage, uh, it's, I mean, pretty much all those teams advanced. Now that we were, we were actually recording this one Thursday night uh, before the LAFC LA Galaxy game. Maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the shining example. Uh, I think everyone's looking forward to that one of of it being a really exciting, thrilling game where you know I don't know three three four four whatever it may be. But but so far the games have been pretty predictable. Pretty I wouldn't say boring, but not as ex- as exciting as you would think or as I would think for playoffs or championship these types of games where you I mean everything's on the line it just seems to be very straightforward and and, and a little bit boring uh, for me personally now Kartik, in terms of um this past week so in terms of soccer um the interest one of the interesting developments i do want to mention is in regards to the, to the uefa champions league um and, and again too following up on last week's show i've been watching most of the champions league and europa league through Zona Football, which is through yeah, uh, yeah Univision, which is just yeah. still amazing, amazing stuff. But one of the interesting developments, I, I, I heard this a few weeks ago, and I heard it again uh, this week too, is these are Spanish language broadcasts of these games, but the amount of English that is being spoken by these commentators. So for the most part, I don't understand a lot of Spanish. I, I understand a little bit. 
having lived in Florida. Um, but just some of the words that were thrown out this week by some of the commentators uh, on the Spanish language broadcast of the Champions League. I heard, oh, no, no, that's not a goal. I heard goal check. I heard no goal. I, I heard uh, talking about Liverpool, uh, saying, talking about the Reds. And, and I think part of it, too, is that because the games are... I mean, the UEFA broadcast, they're, they're taking the feed from UEFA. So the on-screen graphics are in English. So when VAR happens, the the actual VAR graphics on the screen, it'll say, I mean, it'll say goal check. Or come back and say, okay, no goal. So the commentator is, is, is essentially repeating what those things say, but not in Spanish, in English. That, that, that I think, is interesting, especially on the development, too, that we talked about last week, where Telemundo's starting to release... Um, video series, uh, kind of basically vlogs in English uh, for their audience, the bilingual audience. Um, and of course, the Champions League and Europa League are European competitions where, I mean, it's all sorts of different languages used, uh, but the most common one is English. And, and to me, that's an interesting development. I have to watch and listen a little bit more carefully to see if that continues that way. Um, but, but still, I thought that was uh, interesting to share. Um, in terms of some of the other soccer I've watched this past week, uh, one of the questions came up from um, uh, one of our listeners, and this is from Robert Thompson. And Robert says, which broadcast games were more exciting this past weekend, Major League Soccer or the Premier League? And um, from the Premier League that I saw, which wasn't a lot from this past weekend, I mean, Man United against Liverpool, I watched that match, uh, which I, I thought was pretty ordinary. I, I did yeah. not see a lot of, I mean... Liverpool were definitely not at the same level that they're used to. Um, Manchester United, I mean, getting a fortunate goal um, from that, I mean, it was a clear foul. Uh, that should not have been allowed if, if VAR was used correctly. Well, but this is something I, 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 I hate to bring this up, uh, Chris, but I left that match and I think I tweeted something about it and then just turn Twitter off so that, and I don't think I tweeted again until the end of the Philly New York game, which was six hours later, seven hours later, uh, that I just really felt like, um, I, I don't, I'm getting more confused by VAR and the subjectivity because of that goal, uh, right? The, the clear foul in the buildup, which was on the other half of the pitch, I should mention. And then you, you go forward and you get the goal for United. And then, um, the handball, there was a handball that was called, and then there was a handball that was not called. Mm -hmm. Am I remembering this correctly? Yes. Um, so each of those calls added a layer of subjectivity that we didn't have before VAR. So what we've always been told is there, there's a lot of subjectivity and snap decisions by officials. VAR will correct that. It will always make the right call. But what I saw in the Liverpool-Manchester United match was three calls, three decisive calls in a match, um, which were honestly all uh, subjected to a second pair of subjective eyes. Hmm. Um, that's my take on it. So I, it, I actually left that match with a very poor taste in my mouth. Yeah, and that was something too, like uh, watching, catch, catching up on the soccer and missed from the weekend and watching um, ESPN FC on Sunday night on, on um, ESPN+. Plus. Craig Burley and Steve Nichol must have spent about probably about a good 15 minutes talking about the Manchester United goal and debating VAR, I mean, which is a good topic to talk about. There's a lot of time dedicated to that. But um, yeah, so far in terms of the Premier League, especially, I've been disappointed with VAR, um, where 
I don't know. There's so many things wrong with VAR. Um, I don't know what the path is for the future. I mean, what it has to happen is the rules have to change. The rules of the game itself are not in alignment with how VAR has been used. I mean, even going to the Ajax-Chelsea game midweek in um, in the Champions League, and um, whether that was a goal by Ajax, or should, whether that goal should have st- stood or not, whether the player was offside or, or onside, and... Um, if you check out the Twitter feed at World Soccer Talk, there's an interesting video there that, that BN Sports had from uh, from Doha where they analyzed the call that was made where it shows that the Ajax player was offside. However, at that moment that they that the VAR officials for the Champions League uh, saw that that player was offside, it, it was after the ball had already, already been passed uh, by about a frame, so a split second later. So not on the point of contact when the pass is made, because on the point of contact where the pass is made, that player was onside. So it's such down to such small degrees of, of margin, margin of error that the game, the rules have to change. There has to be, you mean, really, you mean, whether it's a separation or whatever it may be in terms of, Offside, especially, but uh, and that's just the offside. I mean, going back to what you said too about uh, missed calls or uh, referees deciding not to uh, go ahead and, and uh, use VAR when VAR is available for things like that. It, it's it, and, and again too with each league and competition using VAR uh, differently. You really it almost needs to be a new position that's added. That's a you mean a master of VAR, somebody who can come in and say, "Okay, looking at all the different VARs from around the world, here's here's my um, recommendation in terms of which one is is actually the best one." Because the Premier League, I I think, is not I mean nowhere near the best one uh, being used. Yeah, you know the funny thing is uh, MLS has gotten this right from the get go. Uh, I, I, as right as VAR can be, I guess. I, I mean, I still have. I still believe you're looking at another uh, subjective pair of eyes uh, with with far. But right. Howard Webb was the guy who implemented, and obviously he's the head of officials now in Major League Soccer, but or for in U.S. Soccer in general, so overseeing USL officials and NISA officials as well. Uh, he uh, implemented this in 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 several stages and got it to a point where uh, VAR is kind of. Um, and maybe they're not overturning as many calls or or, 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 or getting as much quote-unquote right, but there's a more of a seamless factor in MLS matches about over VAR. Uh, there have there are some obvious exceptions to this, but it's, it seems to be more seamless and less um, less intrusive than it, it it is in the Premier League. I think the Bundesliga has done a good job as well, but there have been some recent incidents where I've just scratched my head after uh, cult of the uh, VAR center in Cologne uh, comes up with a decision on a, on a goal in the Bundesliga and thought, you know, it's, it's, that's ridiculous. They, mm-hmm. they they actually blew that completely. My favorite game of this past week was uh, Salzburg against uh, Napoli in the Champions League. Just a, incredible. Again, another one of these back and forth games. I mean, goals scored both ends. You mean, just when you think that uh, uh, Salzburg is going to go ahead and win this game, Napoli comes back and eventually actually, actually Napoli wins this game. Uh, Jesse Marsh doing a fantastic job in terms of making his players believe in themselves, in terms of pushing forward and, and going for it. And it's another game, too, that, um, I mean, the Salzburg-Liverpool game was a game that looked like Salzburg was going to perhaps win that one, but they didn't get that result in that game either. But a lot of positive things um, we can say about Salzburg. 
Um, one more thing, and that's from the playoffs from this week. It was uh, watching NYC FC against Toronto uh, on Wednesday night. And um, I often hear a lot of complaints from soccer fans in terms of Major League Soccer and how the games are produced on Fox. And I, I, I don't watch a lot of the MLS games on Fox. I think there's a lot of other pe- people like that. But the feedback I always get is that uh, how poorly produced the Fox production is. And from watching this game, I could see that too in terms of camera operators uh, where or the producers where they'd show a like basically a, a replay of a harmless foul and then go back and then a split second later, a goal is almost scored where you miss the build-up to, to that goal. And that was something that was... Uh, I saw that quite a few times um, in that game. The other thing, too, is that for the most of this match, because it was played at City Field and not uh, Yankee Stadium, there was a foul ball net across about half of the screen. So you're watching this game uh, through a net. And it was, again... And, and that's the thing about... The, the actual game itself was, was pretty good. It was a, you mean, a decent game. Uh, skill level was, was decent. It was n- n- nothing bad. No, I mean, the quality was decent. But a lot of times it's the production, it's the way that Major League Soccer is presented that always makes me feel that it's it's more amateurish. And and that's the thing too about the Premier League. The Premier League uh, is not by any means the best league in the world, but the way it's produced is in terms of the number of camera angles, in terms of the number of cameras used, in terms of the close-up action, uh, the atmosphere, um, and just how how professionally it's edited. Uh, which, when you're watching a game, you may not even realize that in terms of how great of a job they do that. But if you watch something like that, I don't know, Sheffield United against Liverpool game, or wh- whichever Premier League game it is, and then watch a Major League Soccer broadcast, if it's on Fox or another broadcaster, Fox especially, though, you'll see a dramatic difference in terms of the number of operators of the cameras. Um, and, and just, um, I mean, just, just really, it's not a fluid, in, exciting, enjoyable experience. So Kartik, you missed that, but uh, lucky for you on on that. Yeah, lucky lucky for me on that. I, I suppose uh, my favorite game of the week, by the way, was a game in the NWSL, which was uh, the North Carolina Carolina Courage in extra time, uh, defeating the Rain uh, Seattle. Or they're not Seattle Rain anymore; they're playing Tacoma. The Rain FC four-one, uh, uh, three extra time goals in this match. Uh, after there had been two dramatic, uh, the, the match was nil-nil in the eighty-sixth or eighty-seventh minute. Uh, then there was a penalty. Heather O'Reilly converted it for North Carolina, but then the rain got a goal right at, toward the end of stoppage time. Uh, then Dabinia and Crystal Dunn and somebody else uh, also scored for uh, for North Carolina. So that, that was actually a fun game. And uh, NWSL's playoffs have um, been doing okay TV ratings wise. I mean, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, actually, let's get to that now while we're talking about it. And that's um, so the game that you watch, which is North Carolina. North Carolina Courage against Rain FC on Sunday on ESPN2 um, in the semifinal. That one had 102,000 people watching that game as, as an average, which is a fantastic number. I mean, that's it's better than a lot of Major League Soccer games um, on ESPN2. And then the other game, the other semifinal, which was Chicago Red Stars against Portland, and that one had 155,000 viewers uh, on ESPN2, uh, which was the game that followed the uh, the Courage game. Both of those are, are fantastic numbers for NWSL. And speaking of NWSL and women's soccer, Kartik, let me uh, hand it over to you for the, the first item in the TV streaming news. Yeah. Um, 
the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2019 was watched by over 1 billion people. Uh, in, in, in related news, uh, Octagon and the NWSL, and this is, a, um, this is very interesting because it, it, it takes things in a little bit different direction than some of us thought things were going with NWSL. This week announced a multi-tier consulting partnership in which Octagon's divisions will advise NWSL on its league media rights, sponsorship, and marketing. In addition, Octagon's marketing division will assist the league with uh, brand marketing, asset development, sponsorship valuation, and fan engagement insights to help generate increases in overall reach uh, for revenue for all the leagues and uh, the league and its team. There's some expansion going on in NWSL. We heard about Louisville this week. There may be another team or two, although it has to be said there's some teams really struggling in the league. But, uh, Chris, I think this is significant because there was an assumption that NWSL was moving towards towards some. And there is also uh, some discussion about what is NWSL going to do with its management contract and operations management contract beyond uh, the conclusion of this season. Obviously, this season's going to conclude uh, in a week here, in, in, within the week. So there, there is a lot of talk about the league going, going in a completely uh, was going in a completely U.S. soccer centric, MLS centric dile- direction that has now suddenly changed in the last couple of days. And people are thinking, okay, they they now are leveraging the marketability of women's soccer, women's football, after uh, the World Cup was watched by more than a billion people and uh, broke all sorts of records here in the United States, uh, or, or didn't break all sorts of records, but but did uh, move the needle significantly. Records were broken in the last World Cup. That might be a time zone thing. The, but the point being, Chris, there has been a lot of talk in the last couple of days that maybe uh, this this league now has the ability to stand on its own two feet without U.S. soccer, without the help of Major League Soccer, and it's and can be its own independent entity. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do on the operations side in the next few months. They have to make a decision about that. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but it is a step forward in the right direction. I mean, uh, so Octagon is going to advise the NWSL, as you said, on, on league media rights, uh, sponsorship and marketing, which are some big revenue generators. Uh, but for the league... NWSL, even right now, those are not probably things that generate a lot of revenue. This should do, in terms of uh, so so, in terms of whether it's ESPN or or an NBC that comes along that uh, signs a deal with NWSL to to broadcast more of those games. Um, I'm thinking it's probably ESPN and ESPN Plus is probably most likely, but this would be a great way to partner with them. Now, uh, according to an industry source, Kartik, moving on. Um, UEFA is not satisfied with Turner Sports' coverage of the Champions League. Now, this is something that, uh, according to one of my sources, this this doesn't mean that the entire UEFA organization is uh, dissatisfied, but one UEFA executive is definitely not satisfied with Turner Sports' coverage, which begs the question is what does this mean for the current uh, bidding process that's happening uh, for the rights for the 2021 to 2024 uh, of the Champions League. So we obviously that uh, Turner Sports and Univision have the rights right now. They have it for one more year. But after that, will they still be the broadcasters? Now, according to a different source of mine, UEFA contacted Fox Sports last year to ask them if they were interested in getting the UEFA Champions League back. And Fox said no. So if that source is correct... 
that's another example, I, I believe, of how Fox has basically said, OK, we're out of the club soccer game other than Major League Soccer. And we're focusing our efforts on continuing to focus our efforts on the Women's World Cup and the World Cup, which is the big revenue generating, you mean, in terms of uh, and also in terms of viewership. But according to the source, if Fox had the opportunity to say, I mean, if UEFA said it to Fox, hey, um, I mean, Turner's doing okay, but uh, we really liked what, what, you, what you guys did, Fox, with having more coverage on television across all of your Fox channels and, uh, and, and also having it available uh, more easily through your streaming products rather than through BR Live. Uh, Fox, would you be interested in doing kind of a, a deal with us now? And this would have been a year ago. So when the the, the rights are up for uh, bidding, uh, we we don't go to a bid. A bid. We just say, okay, Fox is new, now the the new rights holder. So one thing to look at this though, Kartik, is that um, TNT's coverage of the UEFA Champions League so far has got has gotten a lot of um, bad press, uh, which is uh, you mean a lot of a flack from a lot of the listeners and, and and soccer fans in the United States. But actually, the group stage coverage of the Champions League so far is averaging 212,000 viewers, which is the best in more than, than a decade through match day three. So even though Fox, a lot, a lot of people talked about Fox and how great they were doing, um, the actual average for the games is higher on TNT, albeit TNT is not broadcasting as many matches. And then the, sec- the second stat to, to throw out there too, Kartik, is that TNT's overall second season of the UEFA Champions League coverage uh, this season has uh, delivered strong results with viewership uh, 5% greater um, than last year. So they're actually doing better than they were, they were last year. But at the same time, again, UEFA's not happy. Uh, Fox supposedly uh, was offered a chance to go ahead and, and get the rights. They declined. And now we're at a place now, Kartik, where, in your opinion, if you had to rank them, who would you say is most likely to acquire the next round of Champions League rights uh, in the United States? Well, first off, um, this is the highest ratings have been since ESPN last had the rights. So that entire uh, 10 years of Fox, is it 10 years, 9 years, 10 years, uh, the ratings... uh, were lower than they are currently on TNT. So that's something UEFA has to factor in their analysis. I know there's less uh, exposure in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, uh, English language television for uh, Champions League. There's never been so much Champions League available on, 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 uh, on uh, Spanish language television. Right. But um, I, I think it's probably um, – ESPN, but that'll be through BamTech and ESPN Plus. Maybe you just get the same amount of games on television as you're getting now, if if ESPN wins the rights. But you will get um, probably less clunky uh, uh, coverage, and uh, and and we will see what happens uh, in terms of NBC. I don't know that NBC is interested in anything beyond this. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a battle, a straight down battle between Turner. Beyond when I say this, Premier League, uh, straight battle between Turner and ESPN. What about what about a number three? Do you have a number three kind of a um, somebody ca- ca- catching up in the pack and, and a surprise package, perhaps? Could IMG or, Dis- or Discovery Networks uh, bid and get the rights and then um, flip them to some? Uh, well, if it's Discovery, they'll show them on Discovery channels. If it's mm-hmm. IMG, would they then flip it uh, to somebody else? 
that's I don't know that UEFA wants to do that in this market, but that's I can't see anyone else really bidding on it. I mean, maybe NBC does bid and they do a lowball bid, but I think it'll be those two. And uh, as if Univision continues to keep into DNA continues to keep those rights uh, to uh, to the uh, Spanish language side, you're going to see more and more bleed to Spanish language over time. Yeah, it's interesting too, Kartik, because uh, you and I did not share our r- rankings beforehand, so we're, we're doing this uh, on the fly here. Uh, my ranking number one was is ESPN Plus. Also, I think it's a slam dunk for them. I think they have uh, enormous uh, amount of money available to buy rights, and um, they've already gone on on the record to say that uh, the Champions League and Europa League would complement their um, their coverage of Serie A and the Bundesliga, which it, which it would. It would be I mean, other than uh, the Premier League, I mean that that they they would have basically everything from the European soccer perspective, as well as having Euro twenty twenty and European qualifiers. Uh, it would give you everything. But having said that, Kartik, I would say that um, I wouldn't count NBC out. I, I know that the last round of rights for the Champions League, uh, one of the things that they were concerned with was. Um, I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're watching the Champions League and you see those ads, which are the, sometimes very an- annoying ads, but e- either Pepsi-Cola or Heineken or it's the same ads every single time. Well, those are ads that um, the UEFA runs worldwide and the broadcasters, I don't think, make, make any money from, the, from that, but they have to run those ads before, you mean, before the halftime break and right after. So that, that's lost revenue opportunities there where they could be, could be having their own advertisers in those spots. So first of all, it's a very expensive rights acquisition to buy. Second of all, it's a lot harder to generate as much revenue because of uh, the way that the UEFA has structured um, the advertising blocks for soccer, which already at a minimum anyway. Um, but I'm starting to think that NBC Sports could be interested in this a little bit more, but more so on the Spanish side. So they could go in and say, okay, we've got NBC Sports and we've got uh, Telemundo Deportes and we're going in there with a, with a joint deal, or well, one deal essentially, and you can have the great coverage of the Champions League, which will be complemented by the coverage of the Premier League. But at the same time, on the Spanish language side, we've got you know, enormous reach, and we can have these games available. You mean through you know, nationwide? The the thing about this though, Kartik, is that uh, my number three, my kind of uh, from the the bottom of the pack, coming up uh, fast, is uh, is DAZN. And oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they have they have the money? Um, That'll probably be my number three now that I think about it, yeah. And I think they have the Champions League rights in Canada already, so that's an opportunity for them to put themselves on the map instantly by doing that. And they've missed out on all the other rights packages that uh, have become available uh, just because you mean they've been slow to launch in the United States. But um, the, the big one about this one is, is Univision, because I would think that uh, UEFA is very satisfied with Univision in terms of the reach, in terms of the level of commitment that they're giving to the Europa League and, and the Champions League, uh, the amount of coverage that these these games are getting on, I mean, a lot of these are over-the-air channels or the big channels. I mean, they're, they're, they're all in 100%. So I think um, ESPN would love to have an ESPN slash ESPN Deportes deal, but I can see uh, ESPN Plus getting it and then Univision for the Spanish language side, and then hopefully ESPN is happy with that. 
and we'll have, you mean, like you said, too, maybe a couple of games a week uh, on television and the vast majority of everything else on, on streaming. Let's move on to TV ratings. Uh, we won't go into these in a lot of depth, but you can get all of the numbers at worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage. We'll have them up there in the next 24 hours. Um, we have to talk about the Major League Soccer playoffs. That was the first topic we came, came at uh, where we started this podcast, and that was um, the new format of these single elimination games. And in theory, I mean, these games were more exciting. These games... Um, are more exciting because it, they're one game instead of two legs. But the the reality is, unfortunately, is in terms of the, the way that these games were scheduled this year compared to last year. So last year, the games that they had, they'd have a game on ESPN2, and at the same time, the Spanish-language broadcast would, would be on Unamas, uh, or it'd be on FS1 and, and then the Spanish-language on Unamas. So each game, you could go ahead and combine the English language and the Spanish language numbers together to get some pretty impressive numbers. You'd have 450,000 pe- people watching um, one of the games and maybe, I don't know, 500 for another one. But this year, what they decided to do, for whatever reason, is to go ahead and not do it that way. So, for example, um, one of the games was uh, NYC FC against, um, I think it was, it was actually the, the weekend game. And that one was on, um, actually, no, it was uh, Red Bulls. Okay, well, well, I can't remember which game it was specifically, but there, there was a game that was on this past weekend that was only on Spanish-language television, that was only on Tudo NA. And then there was another game that was on only on ESPN News, uh, which was one of the, the late games, I think the Real Salt late game against Portland. Yeah, 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 yeah. was on it ESPN was, News. Right. And then you had, uh, you mean, so, so in terms of the way that the games are scheduled and, and which broadcasters got them, um, you didn't have the advantage of last season where you'd have an English language and a Spanish language broadcaster broadcasting that same game to a much larger audience. You'd have it only available on, say, Tuduene, uh, which is I mean, nothing wrong with that, or only available on ESPN News. So as a result, out of the six games featured on US television this past weekend, the MLS playoffs averaged 177,500 viewers at a time where last year, at the same time, average viewership for that initial knockout round was um, almost 400,000. So from 2019, uh, basically what happened was the viewing audience fell by like more than 54%. So... While the games are exciting, I, I don't know. And, and why Major League Soccer did it this way, I have no idea. In terms of maybe they felt that they owed um, to do any some extra, I mean, some, some extra focus where they could have their own game. Well, there were games a few years ago. There were a set of first round matches when they did three versus six and four versus five that were just on Univision Deportes. I'm trying to remember what year that was. It might have been the last contract. It might have been 2014, but there was a year that happened, and, and I remember being quite stunned about it. So yeah. they've done this before, but I just don't think they have since they, they had this new contract. And, and I guess the other thing, too, is that um, we got a lot of feedback from a lot of our listeners is that a lot of Major League Soccer fans or fans of Major League Soccer clubs were, were confused about where these games were going to be on. Because, I mean, if it's a Premier League, you know that it's, it's going to be on either NBCSN or it's going to be on NBC. 
and and r- rarely it'll be on CNBC, but pretty much you switch on NBCSN or, or NBC and you'll find the Premier League game. Now, for this past weekend with the playoffs, games could have been on FS1. They could have been on Big Fox, which they weren't, but they could be on Univision Deportes. They could be on Unamas. They could be on Tudo N. They could be on ESPN, but then they could be on ESPN2. And and that's the thing that the two is that a lot of viewers and a lot of uh, you know soccer fans were, seem to be very confused about where these games were going to be on, and that's one advantage of having one broadcaster like an NBC that shows the Premier League, and you know where those games are going to be on. It's almost like clockwork where, what time those games kick off, um, as opposed to Major League Soccer, where you really need a guide. You need a guide to kind of guide you through, okay, this game is going to be on this time, at this time. You mean, some of these games are on ESPN News, which a lot, not a lot of people get anyway. So, ah, what a mess, what a mess. But uh, hopefully the numbers will pick up in the, the remaining... Uh, stages of the tournament uh, all the way up to the MLS Cup Final. Moving on to listener mailbag, Kartik. And the first one up is uh, a great question from Bill Reese. He says, when considering bids for television rights, do leagues and governing bodies simply choose the highest bid? Or will they consider the entire proposal from the broadcasting company? Would a league take a slightly less expensive bid if it meant that their league had more exposure on a bigger network, etc.? Do you want to take this one, Kartik? Yeah, I believe that's actually happened with the Premier League in this country, uh, specifically this this right cycle. The six years they went with NBC for uh, when there was a actually a joint bid that we believe was higher from Fox and ESPN. Uh, they used a, a, a uh, loophole. Actually, I think they used to. They 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 created a, a a loophole after the fact that they uh, don't want joint bids, and they knocked out the ESPN Fox bid. I think the reality was the Premier League was very happy with the exposure they'd gotten in this country from ESPN. Uh, for, excuse me, from NBC. They wanted to continue that relationship. They also made the exception, uh, taking it from three years to six years. The rest of their contracts all over the globe are three year deals. So NBC essentially got two right cycles out of it. Uh, uh, this is, however, uh, Bill, I think more, mostly an exception. We've seen uh, repeatedly leagues do kind of strange things in terms of uh, taking uh, high bids that give them less exposure. And I think uh, this is the conversation we've had about La Liga recently, right? Yeah. Uh, they, took, they took more money to, to, for less exposure. The Bundesliga, more money now for less exposure on ESPN+. Plus. I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but... Uh, again, this past weekend, if I wasn't happy with the Premier League, I'm increasingly not uh, enamored with a lot of the, the play in the Premier League. I can just flip the channel. Next year, I won't be able to do that uh, to watch a Bundesliga match. So uh, I think more often than not, they do take the, the best money solution. But the Premier League stands as a major exception uh, this past right cycle. And, and I think it's really worked out well for them. Yeah, and actually an additional example of this too, Kartik, is that uh, Major League Soccer, when it was on NBC Sports, and um, they did a good job. I mean, the the ratings weren't huge at the time, but they did some whip-around shows. They they definitely showed a lot of commitment to broadcasting Major League Soccer. But when the bids came up in terms of the the next right cycle, and NBC Sports was interested in continuing the relationship with broadcasting Major League Soccer – uh, according to one of my sources, Major League Soccer came in and said, okay, if you want uh, Major League Soccer to broadcast it, um, we're going to be uh, actually increasing uh, the actual uh, what we're expecting for the, the rights to Major League Soccer. 
so much so that NBC looked at the numbers they were getting for the coverage that they were getting and said, okay, well, that's not going to work because we're not going to be able to you mean, make the money or, or break even on, on broadcasting this league. So, uh, and actually NBC Sports went away, went ahead and walked away from the negotiations and uh, Major League Soccer then said, okay, we'll, we'll do a deal with ESPN and Fox and Univision and that became the what, the five-year or seven-year deal, whatever whatever it was. And that's something that too, in hindsight, I think in many ways, if NBC Sports and Major League Soccer was able to come to an agreement where Major League Soccer said, you know what? TV money is important, but reach and coverage are more important. So let's go ahead and, and do a deal. Okay, yes, we're expecting more money, but okay, we'll, we'll give you an opportunity to continue at the same uh, rate that you were going at before in terms of how much you were paying for Major League Soccer because we believe in you. We believe that you're a partner that can help us uh, maybe piggybacking with some with a Premier League coverage and having you know, kind of a double header between... I mean, maybe it's it's a a four thirty Eastern time uh, NBC Major League Soccer game uh, on a oh, actually I'm sorry two thirty uh, game uh, at, right after the Premier League on a Saturday or something like that, and that's an example of a league uh, looking at this and saying okay we're just going for the highest bids and that's all we're going for we're not looking for a, a partner that's going to help us with uh, the, the big proposal that's going to help us get better reach or, or better. Uh, coverage of our games and our league. Moving on, Tim Keane says, uh, regarding Premier League Mornings, the show on NBCSN, I just suffered through the show. Unfortunately, I can't can't watch hours of talk about Manchester United just going over the same points again and again and again. It's just boring. They They might have tried to have uh, got some ex- explanation from the league or other experts about VAR. Two unbelievable decisions. The Burnley goal disallowed, clear and obvious. The Watford penalty denied, clear and obvious. And on that Sunday morning when I was watching um, some of the pregame coverage uh, for Man United against Liverpool, uh, I thought the same thing, Tim. I thought it was really just not a lot of value, just a lot of talk, but nothing where I was like, oh, that's a good point or that's something I didn't know. Um, it just seemed to be disappointing for NBC in regards to that particular morning when I watched it. I, I mean, I haven't watched as much Premier League mornings as I have done in previous seasons, but uh, I was disappointed, especially leading up to a big game. NBC has shifted from Pulisic mode to a uh, big club mode, which is equally <laughs> annoying. I mean, they, they, they are always talking particularly about Manchester United and Arsenal, but uh, also about the other top four clubs. Uh, but they like, oh, and Tottenham, sorry. It's, it's Spurs, Arsenal, and Manchester United. So I think the thing NBC's uh, pregame and expanded pregame show now, uh, Premier League mornings on Sunday mornings are two hours long yeah. uh, prior to the, to the early kickoff. Actually, this week there was no early kickoff, uh, but it was still two hours prior to uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester United, Liverpool uh, match was at Old Trafford. They talk endlessly about controversies at big clubs. So pretty soon there'll be a controversy at Manchester City also, because I think there's a there's a good chance Pep doesn't make it through the season just because of the kind of person he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the fact that Manchester City probably won't win any trophies this year. So that might be another talking point for them. Uh, when it comes around. But right now, it's all about Pochettino, dressing room intrigue, 
get Spurs? Uh, what's going on at Manchester United? Is such and such a Manchester United level player? What's Ed Woodward doing? Uh, has Unai Emery improved Arsenal? These are the talking points. So mm-hmm. it's very weird, Chris, because I think for six seasons, NBC covered the league in a way where yeah, there was probably more talk about Liverpool and Manchester United and Arsenal than other clubs. But there was you got enough coverage of a Watford, you got enough coverage of a Burnley, you got enough coverage of of the Middlesbroughs when they were in the league and the Cardiffs and the Swansea. Obviously, you have a soft spot for Swansea. Uh, Robbie Musto in particular was really well informed about the rest of the, the clubs in the league and even the clubs coming up from the championship. Now it seems they've taken a very tactical shift to uh, based on probably market research as to who the most popular teams are in the U.S. and the ratings they get for certain clubs, and they're talking about those clubs endlessly, if, if particularly if there's some controversy there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I agree with Tim's observation. I've noticed it also. Uh, I've watched less of NBC studio shows this season for that reason. And it's a great opportunity too. I mean, you have a Sunday morning, you have uh, more time to actually do something different. Uh, maybe bring somebody new that in that that's not usually that's not one of the two Robbies or, or Kyle, <clears throat> and and bring somebody in with a, you mean a different idea, and and not to do comedy, not to do Men in Blazers or something st- stupid like that, but to do something where you know it's 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 different. It's going to shake things up. Bring somebody in that's actually going to. Add to I mean, enhance the, the the coverage that they have. Now this weekend, of course, they've got the um, the fan fest in Austin, Texas, so that'll take up uh, the entire weekend. But um, hopefully, in the near future, they'll mix things up and try something different. Well, which I mean, even from this past Sunday, they did try something different with the boot room, but it's with the same individuals. It's Kyle and and Robbie talking about you mean Manchester United again. So, all right, let's move on to uh, MKE Toffees. And he says, a suggestion from the podcast on history slash tactics is listening to BBC Five's Up All Night. It's a call-in show from around the world, and dialogue is just wonderful. The stories analysis are top-notch. You can download it as a weekly podcast. And uh, you can also listen to it live, too. I think it's on Friday nights, but that's highly recommended. Good uh, recommendation there, MKE Toffees. I, I agree, and I just want to mention, uh, I assume he, because it's MKE Toffees, it's a uh, Newcastle f- uh, supporter from Milwaukee. By the way, I was born in Milwaukee. I <laughs> lived the first, really? uh, f- almost the first five years of my life there before moving to Florida. Most people don't know that. I, I didn't I know really that. I've known you for so, years. Yeah. I did not that know that. That is my hometown, technically. Wow. All right. Never been to Milwaukee. Not that that there's anything wrong with Milwaukee, but never been there. Uh, Monty Reed says, um, during the international break, I watched a U23 Mexico against Argentina game on Tudorene Extra, and the broadcast was in English. I was surprised that that it was in English until I listened to the podcast, and you all mentioned that Tudorene was targeting younger Hispanics who may or may not know Spanish. I also noticed that a lot of the Liga MX broadcasts are offered in English also on Tudorene Extra. As far as websites for tactics, my favorite is YouTube videos by Tifo Football. And Tifo Football had a good one that we talked about, I think, a few months ago, which was an interview with uh, Peter Drury. Yeah, Tudorene Extra, um, when they have rights to English broadcasts, so they have rights, the English language rights to a lot of the Liga MX clubs from Mexico, and oftentimes they will have English language broadcasts of those teams. And um, our friend Juan Arango, who both Kartik and I have known for many years, and he's been on this podcast before and, and worked with us uh, 
when when I did uh, La Liga talk, uh, he's uh, doing a lot of those broadcasts too, both um, doing Spanish and English too. So that's good to see that um, they're expanding their reach there um, and their audience. Herb says, uh, I really enjoyed the commentary on ESPN2 compared to the Go Canada Go analysis from onesoccer.ca from Canada's side. I would say what many analysts are missing is that Canada has has been steadily improving. On paper, this is probably the best squad we have had since the 2000 Gold Cup uh, win. Massive thank you for giving credit to Canada. I remember... Uh, having a conversation with a USA fan and told him that Canada could possibly win that game. That fan la- laughed at me. I told him that Canada is playing the US at a perfect time, given the TNT debacle, and the US is playing uh, Canada at a terrible time. Needless to say, my prediction was correct, although I was expecting Canada to steal a win and play more conservatively. However, they outplayed the US to the point where I was simply embarrassed for the USA. I couldn't be more proud of the progress Canadian soccer has made. Uh, we have always had a strong talent pool, but were unable to click it uh, together. And he says, uh, Allez, le rouge. Yeah. I, I... I agree. I do want to say I think in the 2007 Gold Cup, Canada had a really good team. Dero at the heart of that team. Uh, uh, young, uh, younger Julian de Guzman. Stal Terry was kind of in the prime of his career then. Rob Friend and Tiba Hutchinson were younger, and they had uh, they should have beaten the U.S. in the semifinal, and then the U.S. beat Mexico in the final. Who knows what would have happened in the final, considering it was in Chicago. It would have been a, a, a big pro-Mexico crowd. But I thought that was when Canada was really on the cusp of breaking through again. Um, they had they should have won that match. It was a bad call that cost them. And then the U.S. ended up winning the Gold Cup. Not, U.S. fans obviously never remember this because they never remember the bad calls that go in their favor. They just complain about uh, CONCACAF referees when it doesn't favor them. And then Canada, that cycle, was in a really tough qualifying group, sub-hex group with Mexico, Jamaica, and Honduras, and they finished last in that group. Uh, and the top three were, I think, within one or two points of one another. So uh, they were also, maybe if they'd gotten in another qualifying group, might have made the hex. So I would say uh, maybe it is the strongest Canada team since 2000, but uh, I think that 2007, circa 2007, 2018 was really good also and just got unlucky. Next up is Martin Mulcahy, and Martin says, On Thursday's pod last week, you, you wondered if uh, the German third division game of the week on YouTube was a legal stream. Yes, it is, and the DFB puts out a link to it weekly on their Facebook page. Thanks, Martin, for the info there. Uh, last but not least, Jack says, and actually, Kartik, this is a million-dollar question for you. Jack <laughs> says, Why do most owners join Major League Soccer. It hasn't turned a profit, no one watches it on TV, and several soccer fans believe the league stands against many of the sport's principles. Is Don Garber a really good salesperson, or am I missing something? Um, I actually ask this very same question, but about USL, and I ask it every day. Why now, especially with our friend Nupun Chopra reporting that USL's uh, admission fee for a franchise in that league has gone up to $10 million. There's absolutely... I, there's virtually no way to get a return on your investment in USL. Now, in MLS, it's a little different because you get a piece of Soccer United marketing, which does generate profits. And we see in some markets, MLS attendances and merchandise sales are really high. Uh, 
Atlanta, namely. Uh, I see, you know, I see Atlanta United shirts all, all over the place in South Florida, even, Chris. I mean, it's just they've become kind of a national club. Uh, so they're, I, I still think it's not a great investment, and you're better off investing in a club abroad. But I can see why some owners do invest in MLS. I don't know why owners invest in USL, honestly, unless it's just a vanity project. Or they're hoping they'll get selected for MLS because they're in USL. That might be the exactly. reason. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the latter. But going back to Jack's um, statement that uh, Major League Soccer has not turned a profit, that's, that's the narrative that Major League Soccer wants us to believe. Um, they're a private company, so we don't even see the numbers in terms of how much money is actually being generated. But from all of the expansion fees that they've gotten from all these different teams, and, and this week announcing Sacramento, there's millions and mil- millions, hundreds of millions coming in from each of these different teams coming into the league. And each of these teams is a franchise. It's it's essentially a McDonald's. It's a franchise um, that has the rights then to go ahead and play. I mean, Inter Miami is going to be playing here next year in, in Florida, has the rights in that market in South Florida within 100 miles, uh, the exclusive rights to go ahead and have a Major League Soccer franchise. And uh, yeah, these owners are definitely making tons of money. But looking at the, well, you can't look at the books, but the way that Major League Soccer frames it is that it, times are tough. You know, I mean, it's, uh, yes, we have some sponsors and some TV deals, but we also have a lot of costs. And I don't believe for a second that this league has not turned a profit. I mean, the way that, you I mean, they've arranged the books in terms of, yeah, it's, it's, um, they're making tons of money. Hand it's over because of their collective bargaining agreement, obviously, which is up this year, by the way. So right. uh, after MLS Cup, we'll go into the frenzy about the CBA and see what happens with that and if the players which is, uh, right, which is the, the narrative. Which they the, never do. They generally right. never do. The narrative is we're poor, we, we're, we're, we're breaking even, you mean, times are tough, and yes, we, we don't have a lot of money. The reality is that they should be and could be play, uh, uh, actually paying these players a lot more money and giving them more, you mean, rather than having them fly on just regular flights, you mean, having them have charter flights or have opportunities to actually give these players more um benefits to be able to actually as professional um, sports athletes ah, anyway good question that jack um but there's a reason that uh he's a good salesperson that's that that's the end of uh, the story there all right so we want you to have your say you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and our twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com We'd love to hear from you in terms of your feedback, questions um, about anything or observations in regards to media coverage of the beautiful game. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, <laughs> heading into a big weekend of soccer from around the world, including the NWSL final on Sunday, um, and also the, the Welsh Derby on Sunday morning between Swansea yeah. and Cardiff. Uh, which is going to be on ESPN Plus at 7 a.m. kickoff time, Eastern time, 4 a.m. Eastern uh, Pacific time, which I'll be watching wherever I am. But uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 